Because if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5 this morning. And uh, I've been heavy-hearted, as I'm sure many of you guys have been very heavy-hearted and uh, this week. In fact, this morning I was sitting here worshiping, and I'm so grateful to God for our students. And uh, I, I don't ever want to take for granted the freedoms that we have in our nation because in the Ukraine this morning, there are teenagers their age that are going to battle and laying their life down for their freedoms this morning because there's a madman that's killing people, murdering people that needs to be stopped, that needs quick and decisive action. And God help us to make decisions as a nation and not wait for 30 days because if you wait for 30 days, there won't be a Ukraine. I'm not going to get political. That's not my intent this morning. I wasn't even prepared to say that, but I do want to pray before we move forward because um, God help us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness to us. Father, you've been so good to us. Lord Jesus, we have the freedom to be able to get up and to worship freely and not be afraid of missiles and bombs and bullets. And yet we take so much for granted, God. God, we have what we have today because you are who you are and you've done what you've done. And God, we thank you for the privilege. And Lord Jesus, this morning, I'm just asking, Father, if you would just... These families, so many families being torn apart. God, little children. Father, who have no clue what tomorrow is going to hold for them who will provide who's going to protect me lord guard their hearts father bring healing to the land lord i pray for you, brothers and sisters this morning who are even gathering in the midst of what's happening bless them use them give them wisdom Father, I know that you are a big God, and Lord, you can change the hearts of people. And I pray for Vladimir Putin this morning, God, that you would open his eyes and change his heart, change his mind, change him, God, by your power. Lord Jesus, I pray for our nation, I pray for our leadership, administration, God. Awaken them, give wisdom and guidance. Help us be responsible, Father, with all that you have entrusted to us, because you have given us much. And Lord God, I believe that you will require much, so help us today to know what to do. Father, this morning as we open your word and just talking about this text, I'm asking for clarity, for humility, Oh, God, fill me with your spirit. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Speak into our life today, God. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I am excited to be here this morning. Matthew chapter 5, we started a series a few weeks ago, and we're right in the middle of it. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and following. And uh, today, my uh, sermon title is Homicide of the Heart. Homicide of the Heart. 
And uh, Jesus has been preaching through what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he's helping people understand the depravity that exists within each and every single person on the planet. Uh, I'm reminded of a story this week when I was reading this text of Scripture about Ruth Graham, uh, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth. And Ruth was being interviewed, and uh, the interviewer was talking to her about the hardships of ministry on their family. Uh, and, and because it's interesting when you look back at the ministry of Billy Graham and how uh, that was before cell phones. And, uh, uh, and, so, and so when you traveled worldwide, there would be months literally at a time when he would be separated from his home. And so there were great, great hardships on the home. And the interviewer asked the question, said, Hey, <clears throat> over the years, I know that it was hardships in the family. Uh, did you ever think about divorcing Billy Graham? And uh, she replied and she said, Divorce? No. Murder? Absolutely. And uh, uh, so, so when you're talking about murder, uh, obviously that's a humorous story, but it's a very serious subject. When you look at the world that we're living in and the violence that's plaguing our world, in the United States of America alone, every single year, there's an average of about 25,000 or so homicides that take place. And that does not include uh, uh, other forms of what I would consider homicide, like personal homicide, which would be suicide, or convenience homicide, which would be abortion, or negligent homicide, which would be drunken or intoxicated in some form or fashion uh, driving that leads to uh, killing of a life. And so when you're talking homicides, there's a lot of homicide. We're living in a very violent culture, a very violent society. 68 homicides will take place today in every single day. In fact, during this very service, we'll have at least three murdered during this service. And a lot of times we hear those numbers and we say, wow, that's a lot of different killings. That's a very violent society. But then you hear personal stories and you make it a little bit more personal. And you hear these stories like, for example, you'll hear stories of how two drivers who have never met before driving down the road and all of a sudden they pull over and somebody pulls a gun and one man's dead and the other one goes to jail. Or they go to a football game, and after a football game, because they're dressed in different uniforms, they've never met one another before, but they throw fists, and one man ends up in a coma, and the other one ends up in jail. Just talking about the violence of the culture, the violence of the society that we live in. Just this past week, I was sitting right next to a young lady whose own mother uh, uh, was stabbed to death in her own home by her neighbor. A violent culture. And we look at those stories, and when we hear stories like that, uh, most of us, most of us say, how in the world could somebody do that to somebody else? Why would they do that to somebody else? And Jesus Christ, in this text of Scripture, says, <clears throat> I'll give you the answer. I'll give you the answer. And so that's where he's going this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26 and the Bible says this you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court but I say to you in verse 22 that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court and whoever says to his brother you good for nothing shall be guilty before the supreme court and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell 
Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. And so in this text of Scripture, Jesus is preaching and teaching. And the, and, and the key really to understanding this entire, when you're reading through here, it's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I encourage you to walk along with me, uh, read with me, study with me. And, uh, but the key to in, in understanding really the entire Sermon on the Mount is found right there in verse number 20, just before uh, the text of this morning where Jesus says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that holds the key to really understanding uh, why is that. Because here's what's happening, and this is what's uh, going on in, in Judaism. Judaism had become an apostate religion where the scribes and the Pharisees had encrusted God's truth with, with traditions and, and with rituals that weren't biblical, that weren't from God himself. And they were lowering the standard, and the reason they were lowering the standard is simply so that we might attain our own righteousness. And that's what they were were guilty of doing is they wanted to be able to look at different portions of the law. They wanted to be able to look and say, in fact, when you talk about thou shalt not murder in Exodus chapter 20 and in verse number 13, all they look at is the external. All they look at is the action. All they look at is the ultimate deed and not the desire from where the deed Comes. And so what they do is they keep everything on the external so that they can walk away with religious pride, so that they can walk away spiritually and be incredibly prideful as if to say, look at me, I'm not as bad as all the rest of those people. Look at me, I'm not that bad of a person. Where Jesus comes along and he says, hey, listen, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the poor in spirit? Those who recognize that I am that bad. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Why do they mourn? Because I recognize my ultimate depravity before God Almighty. And we're blessed when we get to that point where we see ourselves and our sin as God sees it. And unfortunately, most of us never get to the point where we're broken before God and have a broken and contrite spirit over sin. And that's what they were struggling with, and that's where Jesus Christ is going with this text of Scripture. He's wanting us to understand our ultimate depravity, lest we look at someone who commits murder and say, I'd never do anything like that. How could they ever? You ever said that? And you're sitting here saying, you accusing me of that? I'm saying Jesus says, recognize the seeds of anger that exists in the heart of every man because of their nasty flesh. And recognize that, man, I was born with a nasty flesh that needs healing. Jesus didn't just preach this message and say, man, I hope you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> ah, I hope you feel terrible about sin and recognize your desperate need for a Savior. That's the point of the whole 5, 6, and 7 of Jesus Christ. 
And so he says, number one, <clears throat> understand this, the impacts, the impacts that are happening, the personal impact of sin. Guard your heart above all else. In fact, when you're talking about these, these Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes, they were focused on the externals, where Jesus Christ himself focused on the internal. They were focusing on the ultimate deed where he was saying, hey, check your heart because that's where it comes from. If you're guarding your heart, if you guard your heart, then what will take place is the deed will never happen if you tend to the desire. And what are those desires? What are those seeds that ultimately lead? It would be the seeds of anger. But God is very much, very much concerned with what's happening in the heart and not just the externals. You know, you can be a law-abiding citizen that goes to church every week and dress up in your finest of clothes and never commit murder, but yet still, still be no different than Vladimir Putin. Because of my heart, what exists in my fallen nature, God help me. 1 Corinthians 28, verse number 9. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches the hearts, all hearts, and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will <clears throat> let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And he's just talking again about the heart. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 2. Proverbs 16 and verse number 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. But the Lord weighs the motives, the motives. Where do the motives fall? In the heart. That's why in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, he says, Above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. God help me to guard my heart, because my heart is desperately wicked. <clears throat> if we allow the seeds of anger to linger, they will lead ultimately to murder. So God help me tend to the issues of the heart. The personal impact of the sin, verses 21 and 22. He begins this whole text of Scripture. He says, you have heard uh, that the ancients were told. You have heard that the ancients were told. In fact, when you read through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, the remainder of this chapter, you will find five, if not six times, five times repeated identically, a sixth time implicitly in the text he says you have heard you have heard you have heard you have heard why does he say you have heard and the reason why he's saying that is because he's dealing with the people that are completely dependent upon religious leaders translation of god's word you had the dispersion that took place not many years prior and and, and as a result of the dispersion many of the of, of the Jewish people no longer understood the Hebrew language in which the scriptures had been written. And so the people that were coming back were completely dependent upon religious leaders. And these religious leaders had gone to liberal seminaries uh, where they learned to interpret God's word very loosely and apply God's word very liberally along the way. And so they were completely dependent rather than saying, hey, thus says the Lord, thus it is written. Haven't you read God's word? Instead, they're saying, hey, you've heard these things told to you. They didn't have God's word. And so I was thinking about that, in fact, and I was thinking, man, how blessed are we to be able to have God's word written and have a copy in our heart language such that we can understand his word, such that I don't need to be misled, such that I can check what's being said, to make sure that what's being said is aligned with, thus saith the Lord. 
In fact, I believe one of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, 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 blessings of the Great Reformation, when you look back at the Great Reformation, was, was that we had God's Word written in our own heart language as a result so that we could no longer be dependent upon the Catholics. Personal, personal. You have heard that it was said. And, and so what, what happened is they took Scripture and, and they were limiting uh, really God's Word. They were limiting and soft-pedaling God's Word because God's Word says, when you look back at what He said about murder, John uh, in Genesis chapter number 9 and in verse number 6, listen to what He says in Genesis chapter number 9 and in verse number 6. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For the image of God He made man. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, it's deeper than just a civil law that's been broken. You've taken the life of another person, the image of God who's been created in the image of God. Therefore, you've sinned against God Almighty. It's sacred, not just civil. And in fact, if you have committed that, you're not just guilty. In fact, you lose your life. Exodus 20, 13. You shall not murder is what God's word says. Murder wasn't just an external act, but it was a matter of the heart. And the problem was is these people had liberated, liber they had taken God's word and watered it down to a point such that people felt good about themselves. I've never done that act. I've never committed that deed. And so Jesus here, he says, oh, You've heard it said this, but let me just get to the heart of the matter because the heart is at the center of the matter. And in verse number 22, he says this, the seeds of murder, he says, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And then he goes on from there. And so he's just saying, hey, listen, the seeds that lead to the deeds are anger. Anger is what escalates to murder. And so if you've ever been angry with your brother, you've got the same seeds in your heart that the murderer who has committed the deed also possessed. It's what led him or her to the act. And so he's saying deal with the root. Deal with the root. And that's what he's doing in this text of Scripture. And a lot of times people uh, within Jesus' own preaching and Jesus' own hearing were saying, man, you're crazy. I'm not, that, I'm not that bad. When the fact of the matter is, he's saying, you need to understand, yes, you are. Your heart is. Your heart. And you've got to deal with the issue because it'll escalate. And so he gives us this escalation and how it looks. Silent anger. He starts with silent anger. Just someone who is angry at his brother. And when you're talking about this anger, here's where you've got to be careful because you've got a lot of people that are just looking to argue over issues. It's interesting how many people just want to argue over issues. But there's some people that look at that and they say, See there? Anger. Anger is prohibited in Scripture. And Jesus Christ got angry. Therefore, he sinned against God. To which I would say, no, what he's talking about here is not a prohibition of all forms of anger along the way. In fact, you read Scripture with other Scripture. It helps you interpret and keeps you sound in your doctrinal judgment. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 4 and in verse number 26 and 27, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, be angry, be angry. And yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. And so when you're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, he was angry. He was angry at sin. And it's nothing wrong with being angry, a righteous indignation towards sin. 
Only don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with those things along the way because it is anger and, and, and you do need to make sure you're dealing with it. Anger in and of itself is not sin. Sometimes we have that emotion and sometimes it's healthy and okay to have that. Jesus Christ had that emotion. When he went in and he cleansed the temple, he didn't go in there and say, well, bless God, isn't this a wonderful day? No, he was angry. You, 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 turn, you turn the house of God, the house of prayer, into a den of thieves. And there's a serious problem. And he dealt with the problem. It's, it's amazing, though, when you talk about this, this emotion of anger, because we, we all understand that, right? We all understand the, uh, anger because we all have it in there somewhere along the way. Just hit enough topics, hit enough subjects, and ultimately you're going to see that little anger poke its head up, rear its head up, that little root that's down there. It happens along the way, and I'll tell you what it does. It makes us do stupid stuff that we wouldn't do otherwise. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, I, I know, I know it's, it's amazing. You know, you spill a cup of coffee, and man, I'm telling you, <laughs> that's just a personal one. I, 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 struggle, I struggle more with anger over stupid stuff I do than what people do. I really do, man. I, I do jobs, and, and when the screwdrivers don't work right, man, it just leads to anger. And God, help me deal with that. Help me not let go. To, oh, I, I heard a story. You probably heard the story about the husband and wife been married for 40 years. They were talking about their marriage, and they were talking about not letting the sun go down. What's the key to your successful marriage? What's the key to this successful marriage? Well, we've never, we've never let the sun go down on our and never went to bed mad at each other. And, and they said, man, good night. How'd you do that? Well, sometimes we stayed awake three days, but we never went to bed angry. Never go to bed angry. Deal with it. Deal with it. And I would say deal with every form of anger, no matter what it looks like. But in this specific text of Scripture, uh, where Jesus Christ is talking, he's talking about an anger that, that, that manifests itself through, through looking at someone over there uh, uh, and, and holding a grudge. In other words, you're talking about a silent anger. He's addressing a silent anger that we hold on to when we hold a grudge against somebody for some reason. Silent anger that manifests itself with a grudge. He says that's where it begins. That's the beginning. That's the seed that you need to deal with, lest it escalates. And that's what he's talking about in this text. He's saying, hey, look, watch how this escalates. We know it will escalate, do we not? I mean, when you have anger in your heart, we all can relate to this subject. Jesus is talking about things not, oh, what if this happens? He's saying, I know it happens. It happens with you because you are born of the flesh. And so we have these things, and when anger manifests itself, and all of a sudden we know it manifests itself because now I've got this silent anger thing going on, and I've got this grudge, and although I'm not talking about it, I'm really holding on to it. He's saying deal with it because if you don't, it's going to escalate. It's going to go from silent anger to slandering, to slandering. And that's what he's doing here in this text of Scripture. He says, whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, or raka. In other words, he's saying, man, he's talking about uh, you blockhead, you dummy. And what happens to us is when we are harboring or when we're holding on or when we have anger in our heart to somebody and we say, I'm just going to be quiet, but I'm just going to let it linger. I'm just going to simmer. I'm just going to stew. That's what we do. And when it stews long enough, and you get into conversation with somebody, you want to know how it manifests itself? You don't want to know how it begins to escalate? All of a sudden now, I no longer can contain it. Why? Because it's, it's powerful. It's like a cancer. 
and it's corrupting, and it's growing in my heart. And all of a sudden now, when I hear their name, Billy Bob, and all of a sudden, man, let me just tell you about, bless Billy Bob's heart. And we, and, and we try to sanctify our anger towards somebody, but all of a sudden we come out with slander. Such a dummy. Such a blockhead. I mean, he's, he, he does a lot of good, but... but ugh. And we begin to speak it out. It, it starts coming out. It starts coming out. Are y'all all right? I mean, seriously. We struggle with these things. I'm not talking about them. That was the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees. They do. No, we do. He says it, it goes to there. And then it even escalates a step further where it's not just a little slanderous name call, but we have this condemnation, this condemning anger. The word he literally uses is moros. You're godless. You're a fool. A fool is one without God. It's a condemning anger. In fact, when you're trying to translate it into the English, it's difficult to do. Because we look and say, whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And we look at that and we say, well, that's not really a big deal. I mean, just to say you fool to somebody, that's not really that big of a deal. Absolutely, it's a big deal because what he's talking about there, translating it into really the attitude and the action is to be able to go up to somebody and just to say, damn, you. You godless person. I don't give a rip if you go to hell or not. It's an escalation of anger. And I know this morning you're saying, man, you talking like that in church? I'm telling you, we all have the same seeds of corrupt nature that exists within us. And they need to be dealt with before, before the desire becomes the ultimate deed. Given the opportunity... We act out if we have the courage. And Jesus is just saying, hey, hey, listen. Nobody's without sin. But understand the depravity of your hearts. Don't, don't be filled with spiritual pride, but rather blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Did y'all hear that? The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And so the first step he's saying is recognize the personal impact that this has on you. Recognize personally the impact that this has on you. But then also recognize the spiritual impact. In other words, it affects everything about you. It affects your relationship with God Almighty. 
He's saying, recognize the spiritual impact that these have on you. Why? Because so many times, brothers and sisters, man, so many times we forfeit. We forfeit the best. We forfeit the fruit of the Spirit. You see, you can't, you can't hold on to anger in the heart. You can't hold on to anger in the heart and experience the fruit of the Spirit. You can't hold on to anger and the very first fruit be love. The two do not coexist. Joy. How many people would rather harbor anger and forfeit joy? And yet that's where some people live. Peace. And why aren't I experiencing peace? Well, is it because you're harboring anger towards somebody? It, 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 affects, it affects us, spiritually speaking. And so that's where he's saying, 23 and 24, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. And it's interesting how he states it, because it's one thing for me to deal with my own issues, it's another thing to be reconciled to my brother, who he's the one harboring against me. How many times do we just say, they just need to get over it. That's on them. And yet, Jesus is saying, hey, 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 why don't you take the first step? Why, why, don't, why, why you got to wait for them to make things right? Why don't you take the first step? Because don't you remember at the end of the day, I took the first step for you. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ took the first step in reconciling us to him? When I had offended him greatly... And yet, while I was still a sinner, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, God demonstrated His great love for you, and He demonstrated His great love for me. And that while I was still a sinner, He died. He took the first step. And Jesus, in His teaching here, says, Hey, why don't you go be reconciled to your brother? Why you got to wait for them? The Bible says it like this in John chapter 5, verse number 19. Not John, James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verse number 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The question that really all of us need to ask ourselves is this one question. Do I really care about the glory of God? Or is it myself? Do I really care about honoring and glorifying God? Not just for me, but also for my brothers and sisters. Because if my brother's not right, if my sister's not right, God's not glorified in that. So what Jesus is saying is to the extent that it is dependent upon you, 
you initiate the reconciliation with your brother. You come into church and you act like everything's a-okay when the fact of the matter, it's not. And it impacts us, spiritually speaking. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 66, in Psalm chapter number 66, in verse number 18, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. When we're talking about worship, true worship, true worship. True worship isn't enhanced because of the clothes we wear, because of the style of the songs that we sing, because of how nice a worship center is when we gather together. It's all about whether or not we're harboring sin in our heart and being right with God in the heart, in the heart. That's where it comes from. That's where true worship comes from. You want, your, you want your worship time enhanced with God Almighty? Man, get on your knees before Him. Search me, O oh God. You test my heart because I don't even know the depths of depravity that exists within me. And help me understand that. And God bless me with a broken and contrite spirit over my sin. It's easy to see sin around us. But Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, you need to see your own heart for what it really is. This whole message, that's what he's talking about. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Didn't Jesus teach that in one setting? Yeah, but I'm more long-winded, I guess. <laughs> it impacts us spiritually. But relationally, relationally, it'll destroy relationships. Anger, anger, take you a whole lot further than you really want to go. Oh, man, we have that initial anger that sets into our heart because we got ticked off, because we got offended, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm just going to harbor this and let it sit there. And if you don't deal with it, then before long it's going to take you to a place where you don't want to go. He says in 25 and 26, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. He's just simply saying, hey, make sure you seek reconciliation before lasting damage is done. You know, you talk to people, and it does. It, it, it does break your heart, and I'm certain. I'm certain that, that, that there are many people in this place right now, right in here, who have broken relationships because of anger. Family, family that you haven't talked to in 20, 30, 40 years. That's a high price to pay, is it not? That's a high price to pay. I'm over them. I'm just through. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't just get over me. See, I'm just through with you. And what he's saying to you and me is, go and be me to others. You don't know what they've done. Hey, can I tell you something? Your brother, your sister, your friend, your enemy, they will never 
insult you to the extent and wrong you to the extent that you have wronged Jesus. And yet Jesus still came for you. God help me to love. We've all, text of scripture, we've all been bitten by the sin serpent. And it corrupts us from the inside out. And here he's saying, hey, what about, what about the seeds of anger in your heart? Ever been a time in your life when you recognize that, man, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I mean, that's just one of many. That's just one of many. The reason why they're there is because we, we're sinners. We're born with a fallen nature. We're born with that. With that. Nature. Flesh. And that's why God came, because he loves you and he loves me. He doesn't bring this message to say, look how sorry you are. No, he's saying, hey, I want to hold up a mirror, and I pray that you would see yourself as you really are. That is an individual that's born with a fallen flesh that's in desperate need of the antidote because I'm inflicted with the fatal disease of sin. And there's only one medication, there's only one antidote that'll fix it, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. And he laid his life on a cross for you and for me. He paid the price. He took your sin. He took my sin, the wages of our sin, and he paid it in full on the cross so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be made whole, so that we can be cleansed and have a fresh new beginning, so that we might experience an abundant life that can only be had in relationship with Jesus Christ. And today, if you've never called on his name, I'm inviting you to call on his name. Call on his name today. If you've never called on his name, call on his name. Number two, maybe you're here this morning and say, man, I know that I have harbored anger. Act upon that today. I'm not talking about in a bad way. I'm talking about in a good way. I'm talking about to repent before God Almighty and to the extent that you possibly can seek reconciliation. You be Jesus. You be Jesus today. Would you do me a favor and join me for prayer? Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your goodness to us, God. And Father, as we just walk through your word, and Father, your word is piercing. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us how to respond. What must I do today? What do I do with what I've heard? And God, for those that have never been saved, I'm asking, Father, if your Holy Spirit would knock on the door of the heart today, Draw them to yourself today. Father, I pray for a broken and contrite heart. I pray for all of us that you would bless us in that way. Father, open our eyes. Lord Jesus, I pray even now. I know that, Father, in this place there are many that need reconciliation. And I pray, God, your Holy Spirit, fill them. Give them wisdom to know how to seek that. And Lord, as they go to seek that, I'm asking you, Father, if you would go before them, before me, before us. And Father that there would be reconciliation in relation so that ultimately Jesus 
you are glorified. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray.